1: This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast, available every morning on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It's Tuesday the 27th of February in London. I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, Sweden joins NATO as questions grow over what a Trump presidency would mean for the alliance. Fast fashion retailer Shein considers a London IPO amid growing US resistance. And why the price of chocolate and cosmetics could be about to rise as the result of a new European law. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. Sweden has cleared the final obstacle to joining NATO after a vote in Hungary's parliament. The move helps bolster Europeans' security amid rising provocation from Russia, just as US support for Ukraine appears to be faltering. While Sweden was welcomed by most allies, securing the backing of Turkey and Hungary proved to be more challenging. Bloomberg's Nicholas Rolander is in Stockholm. Hungary has been heavily criticized by many European countries for its backsliding on democracy and for undermining the rule of law in the country. And Sweden has also criticized Hungary on those points. Uh, And that does not sit well with uh, Viktor Orban and the Hungarian government. So they wanted to make a stand Uh, show that they are not happy with uh, the criticism that's being leveled against them. And they used this as an opportunity to do that. Whether or not they wanted anything more concrete is still uh, uncertain, I would say. Bloomberg's Niklas Rollander says Sweden's NATO membership will be finalised within days. The accession comes as the possibility of a second Trump presidency looms over the alliance. Earlier this month, the Republican frontrunner said he'd welcome a Russian attack on NATO allies who fell short of their defence spending commitments. The European Union wants to make as much as half of its defence system purchases from within the bloc by 2035. The new draft plan seen by Bloomberg would reverse a trend of the EU buying a majority of military equipment from third countries. It comes after Russia's invasion of Ukraine exposed the Union's reliance on other countries for key capabilities. The draft document seen by Bloomberg also includes measures to secure critical supplies and changes to the European Investment Bank's lending policies. China's state-backed funds have bought more than $57 billion worth of onshore shares this year. That's according to estimates from UBS, which expects further purchases as part of a bid to prop up the market. Calculations by the Swiss bank on excess transactions of 54 Chinese exchange-traded funds found more than 75% of the inflows went into products tracking the benchmark CSI 300 index. Sunil Cole, APAC equity strategist at Goldman Sachs, says the national team buying is boosting optimism towards the market. In the market, we have been sort of uh, emphasising this theme of um, uh, China rebalancing. At, at the broad level, I would say we, we like the China domestic market more than the offshore markets, because in domestic market, obviously, there is some policy support, but also national uh, evidence of national team buying. So that's sort of A over edge. And within that, as I said, I think the China rebalancing team which sort of speaks to both sort of hard tech mm-hmm. uh, as well as sort of the, the technology self-sufficiency theme, I think th- those themes can do do well. That's Goldman Sachs, just Sunil Cool speaking there. The CSI 300 index has risen by more than 7% this month, while index of Chinese shares traded in Hong Kong has climbed by more than 9%. Bloomberg has learned that the global behemoth of fast fashion, Shein, is considering listing in London, but only because of resistance to an IPO in its preferred location, New York. Tiwa Adebayo has the details.
2: A pioneer of cheap style, Shein could now become a trendsetter in the IPO world too, breaking the pattern of corporate migration away from London. The Chinese-founded company is weighing an LSE listing after judging approval by the US Securities and Exchange Commission unlikely. According to Bloomberg data, the move would provide a much-needed cash injection after the UK suffered one of the worst years for IPOs in modern history, raising just $1 billion in 2023. Hong Kong and Singapore are also in the running for the ultra-fast fashion listing, amidst scrutiny from the US over Shein's operations in China. In London, Tiwa Adebayo, Bloomberg Radio.
1: UK shop price inflation has fallen to its lowest level in nearly two years. The British retail consortium data shows prices are 2.5% higher in February than last year. James Wilcock has more. Retailers are doubling down on promotions and passing on lower costs to consumers. Although prices are still up on last year, it's the ninth consecutive month the rate of increase has fallen. It all adds to evidence of a broader slowdown in inflation and recovering real household incomes. But bosses pointed to one big unknown, how delays from Red Sea disruption will weigh on prices in the long term. In London, James Walcock, Bloomberg Radio. And the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, has told Conservative MPs that limited fiscal headroom means he'll be pursuing smart tax cuts in the budget next month. Bloomberg has learned that he told MPs the giveaways wouldn't be on the same scale as last November's autumn statement. He was speaking to a meeting of centre-right Conservatives from the One Nation group. He's under pressure from his party who want to see the UK's tax burden reduced ahead of a general election. In a moment, we'll get more on Sweden joining NATO on that draft EU defence purchases plan. Plus, we'll tell you about cocoa prices hitting an all-time high. But also this morning, an interesting reading from our colleagues in China about how the crackdown on so-called hedonist bankers and how it's led many finance workers to rethink their careers. So... President Xi Jinping's call for common prosperity has hit salaries hard and triggered belt tightening in many parts of the industry. On top of that, there's been this drive against alleged corruption that's ensnared more than 100 financial and executive officials last year, alone unnerving the entire industry. So our article quoting a finance professor at the University of Hong Kong is saying that he sees a new Chinese economy uh, being shaped, uh, which will see government-run banks and insurance companies dominate. And Shi Wu Chen says, quoted in the article, that this could lead many people who currently work in the finance industry to find jobs elsewhere. Our colleagues speak to several people who are working in the industry, worrying about fears for their future and what shifting government attitudes might mean. A very interesting read from the inside of the Chinese financial industry about its future this morning. Well, let's get more detailed now on those defence stories we've been telling you about in Europe. Sweden has cleared the final obstacle to join NATO, while the EU has drafted a new plan for buying military equipment. Bloomberg's Oliver Crook joins us from Berlin for more. Good morning to you, Oliver. This has been a complicated road for Sweden to join NATO. How significant is it for Stockholm and, and for the alliance overall?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Almost two years to the day since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, now Sweden will become the 32nd member of NATO. And it was about a year and a half of delays, first by Turkey, now by Hungary. It seems that the sort of path to NATO is paved by fighter jets, because in both cases it was in Turkey and in Hungary, the key was basically selling them more fighter jets that basically got the green light for these uh, for Sweden to join. So they could join as, as, um, as soon as Friday. What is interesting is that basically the significance for Sweden here is that it ends basically a policy of military non-alignment neutrality during the world wars has not been to war since 1814 so a really sort of a sea change for Sweden and strategically no it does not have a border with Russia but it is obviously buttressed right up against Finland which does and has a huge proportion of the Baltic Sea advanced submarines and the defense contractor Saab which makes the fighter jets that were in question and which by the way hit an all time high uh, on the stock yesterday and financially of course it's a substantial economy about 600 billion euros uh, of an economy and 2% of that now will we'll go to military spending that is part of NATO.
1: This, Oliver, is we've had the French President Emmanuel Macron rallying support for Ukraine
3: at a meeting in Paris. What did we hear there? Yes, we had a bunch of heads of states, about 20 from Europe and heads of government. And you really, you know, at a time when Ukraine is having massive issues with ammunition shortages and beginning to lose territory, the issue is that there's a lot of goodwill from Europe, but there isn't really the capacity to produce the volumes of ammunition and other supplies required to support Ukraine. And it's also opened another debate, which is, I think, probably going to be the headline here, which is the question of European troops potentially in Ukraine. So this is what Macron said about that. He said, clearly, there is no consensus today officially to send troops on the ground. But in terms of dynamics, nothing should be ruled out. We should be willing to do everything necessary to ensure that Russia cannot win this war. And of course, hanging above all of this, Stephen, is the small matter of the United States, by far the biggest spender uh, in NATO, waning public support. Ukraine aid still stuck in the House and this doesn't even begin to touch the question of the election. Donald Trump, who has been very skeptical about the NATO alliance, so really Europe wants to demonstrate its security autonomy.
1: One of the really key issues that we heard from President Zelensky of Ukraine at the weekend uh, is that he was welcoming the likes of the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. Was this shortage of ammunition mm. from what had been promised uh, from European countries? Do they seem to be coming towards some sort of arrangement as to how they're going to procure the ammunition that's needed?
3: So what's interesting is we got also um, you know this plan from the Czechs basically who said that they could source uh, hundreds of thousands of rounds of artillery shells, which is basically what uh, Ukraine needs right now, um, and. Based- Basically, there's been a lot of resistance from the EU to buy, use EU funds to buy ammunition from outside. But it seems that that position is a little bit uh, weakening just because they don't have the capacity to produce the kind of shells. We heard from Zelensky yesterday saying that they've only got about 30 percent of the million shells promised by the EU. So the Czechs have put forward this proposal. It's won the endorsements of the French and the Dutch, and the Dutch have also said uh, you know, 100 million euros willing to go to that so they're going to be able to get these shells from outside of Europe.
1: Looking more broadly at the defence picture for the European Union, bloomberg reporting on this new draft EU plan to develop its
3: defence industry further. What's in the plan? so uh, let me just start with a quotation that we got because we saw a draft of this here at Bloomberg and I'll just because this kind of sets the tone for what is the goal here and it is uh, the geopolitical developments point to a compelling need for Europe to take increased responsibility for its own security and to get ready to effectively address the full spectrum of threats it faces right so this is in keeping also with what we've heard a lot about from the EU Commission in terms of their uh, their uh, policies on raw materials on energy policy they basically want to be sourcing a third to half of all of the their security systems, their defense systems within the EU by 2035. So that means that they're going to put a minimum floor to procure defense equipment collaboratively, but really also to mechanisms to make sure that they are aware of identifying where they have dependencies on third uh, countries in order to not have these shortages if things get serious. And again, this is all about Europe wanting to demonstrate security autonomy, particularly at a time when the sort of U.S. security umbrella is perhaps more in doubt than it's ever been.
1: Now, cocoa prices are at an all-time high as production in West Africa declines. Now, an EU regulation meant to stop deforestation around the world threatens to disrupt the cocoa supply chain and push prices even higher. Our soft commodities reporter, Mumbi Gittau, joins us in studio for more. Morning to you, Mumbi, Great to see you. Um, what is this EU law all about and, and when does it take effect?
2: Um, So, as you mentioned, cocoa prices are are at an all-time high and I was here to discuss the supply issues that West Africa is facing a couple of months ago. And now the industry is also focused on an EU deforestation regulation that comes into force at the end of this year. Now, this regulation is one trade-up correctly put it, is to make sure that EU citizens are not complicit when it comes to deforestation. So the EU's aim is to try and stop deforestation across the world. Um, that's in West Africa, in the Amazon, in Asia. And it just doesn't target cocoa. So it also targets palm oil, timber, kettle, um, soy, beans and coffee. So that means your instant coffee, your leather, all of that will have to be checked by the EU. And that's at the end of this year.
1: So how exactly do they plan to achieve this to ensure that it's not contributing to deforestation?
2: Now, some of these supply chains are very complex. Um, When you look at coffee and it comes from very many smallholder farmers, that's going to be very complex. So what the EU wants to try and do is that every time a trader brings in a shipment into the EU, they must have GPS coordinates of every plot where they source that coffee or cocoa. So you can imagine if you're bringing in a bag of cocoa or coffee, you have to show every GPS coordinate for every plot where you got that cocoa from. And this is very difficult for an industry that is very low tech, very disorderly. So if you go to um, West Africa or Ivory Coast, for example, you will find that very Very few farmers have a smartphone. So this is really a responsibility for traders and for companies to do this on their own to try and make sure that for every bag that they bring in that they have a GPS coordinate of where they got that coffee or cocoa from.
1: So you've been reporting from West Africa for this story as well. I mean, what did you learn there and what does it mean for the companies that trade cocoa and make chocolate as well?
2: Yes, I was in West Africa about two, three months ago and what I thought was a very disorgan was an organized Um, supply chain, I came to realize it's very fractured. And so cocoa will be mixed together at nearly six stages. So before you see your chocolate at the supermarket shelf, it's probably changed hands, maybe six, seven, eight times. And with every change of hands, there's blending, there's mixing. And so you can imagine for a company to try and trace every single bean from the farm to the supermarket shelf. That's a tall order. So this means huge investments for companies. And they have a lot to lose because you could be penalized 4% of your profit um, in the in EU. You could be banned from trading in the, in the block. So there's a lot for companies to lose. That's why you're seeing Nestle, Cargill, Mars, Mondelez spending a lot of money on sustainability and on mapping every single farmer. But it raises the question of, Are they going to be able to do that in time? There are so many millions of farmers to farm both in coffee. And if you look at Nestle, it has coffee, it has cocoa in its supply chain. Will it be able to map all those farmers before the regulation comes into force?
1: And does this mean higher prices for consumers?
2: Eventually, that could mean uh, higher higher prices for consumers. There's someone who has to absorb these costs. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money to spend on technology, on infrastructure, on making sure that this data is up to date. I'm not, I don't think the companies will be ready to absorb all these costs and shield the consumer. So either the farmer will take on the tab and the consumer will also see higher prices for
1: chocolate. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke, And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe.
0: The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th.